and I'm balling, up, up, and I'm balling, and I'm balling, and I'm balling. We are balling as we do each and every week here on the Wallace and where HBCU football podcast. You know, we're less than two weeks away from Christmas. I'm one of your hosts, Donald Ware. Got my main man, Mike Wallace, also with me. What's going on, Mike? Hey, don't remind me, man, of uh, of, of that day fast quickly approaching because uh, I still got a lot of uh, Christmas shopping to do. But fortunately, man, it's one of those situations where, you know, I got kids that love gift cards. And so you just give them, give them the money, go let them shop for themselves, man. But I know, like I said, I know you already got that taken care of because you definitely on the ball and on the move and on point and got all of your Christmas stuff already done. Tell me I'm wrong, D. Tell me I'm wrong. I, I, I'm sorry, Mike. You, you, my man, you're you're wrong. You know, I I, I really, really, my my wife really handles uh, all of that. I mean, at least, I mean, at least, you know, I'm a I'm a decent husband, Mike. I go out, I I go and shop for her. I don't make her buy her own gift, Mike. <laughs> hey, you know what's funny, man, is that my my wife. I, I get on her nerves when it comes to this, but. You know, I'm a stickler for, you know, I, I, I downplay holidays as much as I can because I say, hey, listen, why, why are we waiting for everybody else in the world, you know what I mean, to do things for other people? Let, let, let's, let's do something special. So every once in a while, I'll surprise her. Like, I know when her birthday is, but I'll give her a birthday gift like four days early and just say, hey, happy birthday, because you weren't expecting it four days before. So I try to keep her off balance with that, man, and it drives her crazy sometimes. But at the end of the day, man, I just want to wish you and yours a happy holiday and all of the listeners of the Wallace and Ware podcast that have supported us from day one uh, of this venture, those who have supported Grind City Media, and obviously those who support with Wallace and Ware, and not only Wallace and Ware, but from the press box to press row and everything that you do, uh, Donald, with your shows and everything too, man. It's been a fun ride. It's been an enjoyable ride. And, uh, you know, I mean, I, we, we couldn't do this without one another, but we certainly couldn't do it without the listeners uh, that support us, man. And, and, and speaking of support, you know, I want to invite all of our listeners to continue to support the Memphis Grizzlies. Yes, I know it's been a struggle. Uh, it's been a tough season, you know, so far uh, through the first third because of the injuries and some of the turmoil and the coaching change and everything that's went on. But uh, the Grizzlies are still one of the best entertainment values uh, you're going to find in the Mid-South region. So regardless of whether you, where you are in our region, five states that surround Memphis, uh, the five states, the five you know, major cities that you can hit up, whether it's Jackson, whether it's St. Louis, whether it's, you know, Little Rock, whether it's, you know, you go east to Nashville, you reach down into Mississippi's again, and you go up to Kentucky's, you know, make it happen, get to Grind City Media, get to Grind City, get to the Grizzlies, get to the FedEx Forum, and you don't want to miss the Grizzlies' next home game, which is Friday, December 15th, when the Grizzlies take on the Atlanta Hawks at 7 p.m. So, look, it's only a five-hour drive from Atlanta. So if you're somewhere between uh, <laughs> Memphis and Atlanta, Come on over to uh, Grind City and, and check out the Grizzlies and the Hawks. Fans who want to arrive, fans will want to arrive early because the first five thousand will receive a Grizzlies lightsabers in honor of Star Wars night. So you get a Grizz lightsabers uh, in honor of Star Wars nights. Fans interested in fully taking advantage of Star Wars night can purchase special ticket pass- packages that include a post-game viewing party on our new HD scoreboard. Gri- great seats are still available. Call nine zero one eight 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 hoop or visit grizzlies.com today. D, I know we got a jam-packed show, man. We got the celebration ball that's right here. Both you and I will be making our way to Atlanta uh, coming up really soon. There's a lot going on across the NBA. Uh, There's a lot going on on the HBCU coaching front and changes up and down the line. There's a lot going on in the NFL right now, man. But, you know, one of the things that I want to say is that, again, 
thank you guys for following us and supporting us from the day one of the season all the way to now. And let's get it cracking, baby. Yeah, no, very well said. Uh, uh, ditto to what Mike had to say with all of the support that we've gotten. And man, I, I look forward, Mike, to uh, you know, it's been some, you know, it's been some years. Matter of fact, I think the last time that we were face to face, man, I think was back at the 2012 NBA All Star uh, weekend in Orlando, man. So I'm, I'm looking forward to getting back with you um, during the Celebration Bowl. Uh, and even, Mike, before we start with the Celebration Bowl, man, let's talk. You, you mentioned the Grizzlies and the best entertainment value, certainly being in Memphis, man. Before this season is over, man, I will be getting to Memphis. And I know you're going to show me a, a, a really good time, but right now it's not a good time for the Grizzlies, man. Uh, you know, they made the coaching change. They've got, what, one win um, since making that coaching change, and as a matter of fact, they lost three straight games, including Saturday night's home heartbreaking loss uh, to the Thunder. Uh, it seemed like a game in which they uh, they not only should have won, but sort of looked like they had in hand a little bit there, Mike. Yeah, when you talk about that that, that three-game stretch, and, and again, it's one of those situations where you know you, you look at three games from Wednesday to Friday to Saturday uh, of last week, you're looking at three games in which the Grizzlies led by double figures in all three of them. They were up 12 against the New York Knicks in Madison Square Garden and watched that lead, you know, just sort of just completely vanish by halftime. Now, I know it's, you know, big leads early in NBA games. I mean, teams always make a run. But that was a Knicks team that was missing Tim Hardaway Jr. Then on Friday, you come home, you're up 17 against the Toronto Raptors, and it's, it's one of those situations where you can't even handle prosperity on your home court because by the third quarter, that lead was done. And then the next day, now granted, I'm saying this, you know, the next day because back-to-backs are always tough, but this was a home back-to-back. You're playing both of the games uh, in your own arena. Uh, Oklahoma City Thunder comes in here with Carmelo Anthony, yes. Russell Westbrook, yes. But no Paul George. And you're up 20, 20 having played your best first half, one of your best first halves of the season, and then Oklahoma City just methodically walks you down. They weren't, they weren't playing well. They were shooting barely 40% from the field. Uh, Russell Westbrook was off. You know, Carmelo Anthony was 5 for 15 uh, in his first 15 shots of that game. And then you just let them outwork you. And, and it's been a disturbing trend because, you know, it's one thing to be hurt and injured. Mike Conley still isn't back. Brandon Wright isn't back. Chandler Parsons has yet to play in the back-to-back set on both ends this season. But when you still have the prosperity uh, to be up 20 on your home court and you can't close out that game against a team that hadn't won on the road since Halloween, Oklahoma City hadn't won a game at, on the road since Halloween, and uh, they get a win in your building, man. It's, it's, it's disheartening. Um, it's, it's one of these situations where, you know, it's, it's tough to sugarcoat. You know, I mean, Grind City Media, yes, we're the internal media operation uh, based in Memphis, based in the Memphis Grizzlies organization, uh, but we still have to have our credibility uh, when it comes to calling it, calling it like I see it, and, and they give me the, uh, you know, the, the the leeway to do that, and it, it's tough, um, you know, to, to to be critical of this team because you know some of the issues that's impacting this team, but at the end of the day, you'd be lying to yourself if you said that look, man, the Grizzlies weren't supposed to win these last three games or the three games that they played during that stretch. It's been disappointing. They have to figure out a way to establish some winning uh, values, some winning ways, some winning heart, some winning resolve, and this team just does not have it right now. Um, 
and we'll see. They open this week, 10 games under 500, uh, fourth worst record in the league, and you're talking about a playoff streak that's now in jeopardy, seven straight years in the playoffs, third longest streak in the NBA behind the Spurs, uh, and it seems like the Spurs have been in the playoffs forever, 20 straight years, and then the Atlanta Hawks, which have been there 11 straight years. And that's in serious jeopardy right now if they can't get this thing turned around. I guess, Mike, and again, you know, as an outsider looking in, um, and, and as many times as I said um, to you and on this program that I really, you mentioned seven straight years. I mean, that is ultra, when you talk about consistency, that is ultra consistent. And within those seven years, if I, I don't I remember 2011, 2012, when they knocked off um, San Antonio, you know, in the first round when it was a David and Goliath matchup. So I look at the consistency of this uh, organization, but I, 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 I struggle to find out where things went wrong. You essentially, I mean, yeah, so, you you know, you have Gasol and you, you have Conley, and I know Conley has, you know, had some injury issues this year. They let Fisdale go. What can, my, is there somewhere you can point to why this thing has, it, it's not even like, okay, you're, you know, this thing really, Mike, has gone awry. Why? Why is that? It's one of the situations where, you know, again, we, we you, you come into this week and you've lost 14 or 15 since getting off uh, to that remarkable start. I mean, I'm 5-1. and one. You start the season 5-1 and one with two victories over Houston and a win over Golden State. Uh, then you get to 7-4. and four. You take a couple stumbles here and there, but you're still back at 7-4. and four. And then since then, the wheels have really fallen off. You've lost games at home against teams that you're supposed to beat. Uh, the trends have been uh, spiraling in the wrong direction for a long time now. Um, starting back early last, you know, late last season, midway through last season. I mean, this was a team that finished 14 and 26 over the regular season from the end of last season, uh, leading into the first month of this season. And now, but since then, it's gotten incrementally worse. The reason why is this: it's a combination of things. There's not one thing that you can put your finger on, but it starts with health. You have basically, <clears throat> if I did the math. You're talking about $30 million in Mike Conley for this season, $23, 24000000 million in Chandler Parsons. Uh, that's 54 and you add another $5 million in Brandon Wright. Mike Conley, Brandon Wright, Chandler Parsons, $60 million of your $94 million salary cap uh, are, are in street clothes, you know what I mean, uh, doing certain stretches. And, you know, Chandler has definitely been encouraging, but he's still basically on a ministry restriction on a management program. So, when you have almost two-thirds of your salary cap unavailable on a regular basis, uh, that hurts you. Um, secondly, you're talking about a history of some, some draft issues that you haven't had a first-round pick pan out in quite some time. I mean, this is a team that just cut last year's first-round pick, Wade Baldwin the fourth, you know, one season after you drafted him in the first round. And you also released uh, a, a high second-round pick in Roddy Zagorot you know, a guy that came over from Serbia. So you're partnered with picks that you had value uh, or, or that had value going in. And, you know, I can't name the last first-round pick that, that's panned out for this team because the last one that's still on the roster is Mike Conley. And you're talking about a guy that's 11 years in now. So the combination of some draft issues, uh, some free agency signings that hadn't necessarily worked out, year after year you're bringing in guys that have either hurt or got hurt once you got them. Um, that certainly hasn't helped. And, you know, you need assets at this point. Yes, the Grizzlies have done well when it comes to second-round picks, sort of diamonds in the rough and, and guys that have overcome uh, some of their second-round draft status. Dylan Brooks is one uh, that comes to mind. This is a guy that was picked, you know, well into the second round. I believe it was in the 40s. 
And, you know, he's one of the leaders in, in minutes when it comes to rookies, you know what I mean, uh, this year. So, you know, that's worked out, but so many other things have not worked out, and it's just been a, a combination and an and, and accumulation of issues that you just can't will your way out of. And in addition to that, you made a coaching change, you made a philosophical playing style change, and that hasn't backfired necessarily, but it struggled to get started. It's sort of sputtering along at this point. And, and it's frustrating. It's frustrating for fans. It's frustrating for uh, the players and the coaches in the front office and, and everyone that's around. Uh, but the one thing that this team does have is a lot of heart and a work ethic to keep showing up and trying to figure out a way uh, to improve and get better. And it's just going to take a, a, a lot more digging to get out of the hole that the Grizzlies have dug themselves in uh, so far this season. Because now you're coming up on a stretch now where I call this stretch right here that we're in currently uh, a stretch of five out of six games are at home. You're hovering right around 10 games below 500. And if you're going to salvage the season, which is what general manager Chris Wallace said when the coaching change was made, this is the stretch where you do it. You, you, you stop the bleeding right now, you dig in, and you start digging your way out of it, except the Grizzlies have gone the other way. And now you finish out this month, six out of seven are on the road. You know what I mean? Including, you know, two West Coast trips. You've got to go play Golden State twice uh, uh, in, in a span of like 10 days. You know what I mean? So it's one of those situations where uh, it could get worse before it gets better. Um, hopefully this team finds some direction pretty soon because, again, it's going to get more and more frustrating unless they can start figuring out a way to win some games right now. A uh, team that is trending in the other direction, and I know we talk a lot on this program um, about the, uh, you know, the Cleveland Cavaliers and how they've been able to turn things around after a little bit of a bump uh, in the beginning of the season. But the Houston Rockets, man, they're playing some good ball, a grinded out, you know, back and forth, old style uh, Western Conference type of game, a win against the Trailblazers over the weekend. CP3 now is back. James Harden, Mike, um, I just continue, I know, you know, I just continue to be amazed by his game, but not only, not only the game, but how better it seems to get each and every year. I mean, I love the game of Kevin Durant. I think Kevin Durant's probably more of a consistent outside shooter than is Harden. And, and, and in all fairness, when you talk about uh, there were two vastly different playoff uh, appearances between the two uh, last year, they were on definitely opposite ends of the spectrum. But James Harden is absolutely uh, outstanding. And now, uh, the Rockets continue to win, Mike, and uh, now they got CP3 back. You know, this is definitely one of, if not the hottest team in the Western Conference. Oh, yeah, no question about it. I mean, you know, they came into the week with a nine-game winning streak. And, you know, I mean, they were 9-0 and in their first nine games with CP3 back in the fold. And one of those games early on, I think it was game two of his comeback, was against the Memphis Grizzlies. So, you know, um, it was a situation where he came in and, and – you know, rightfully so. Some national pundits, my guy Chris Broussard and, and others who have covered this league a long time, were very skeptical of Chris Paul's ability to adapt to Mike D'Antoni's uh, running gun, shoot threes, and keep shooting threes offense. Because Chris has always been more of a methodical point guard. Yes, he could play up-tempo, and obviously Lob City in L.A. when he was with the Clippers was, was, was a great you know show when they had it going. But more so than anything, uh, could he – it, it, could, could he take threes? Could he transition and become a volume shooter of threes? Could he create space 
and keep that system going the way that it's been going. And he stepped in seamlessly, man. I mean, yes, James Harden, when he's putting up 50 and 48-point games, yes, you're going to win some ball games there. But the way they, they've managed that, I've seen it like the way D'Antoni has managed these two guys, these two giants, these two pillars of offensive basketball, and have gotten the best and activated the best out of both of them uh, at this stage is phenomenal. I think that right there is worthy of coach of the year type consideration at this point. Um, because, again, Chris Paul is a guy that didn't like to shoot a lot of threes. He's sort of, sort of a mid-range uh, basketball player when it comes to where he likes to find spots and pick and probe. But he's been able to do that. And D'Antoni starts both of them. But then he's, after they get that first shift out of the way, uh, he sort of toggles them. You know what I mean? He sort of juggles them. And, and he has one playing uh, and one on the bench. And then when the other comes in, the other goes to the bench. And that offensive system continues to move because you have two elite playmakers who know how to get the ball to teammates at that three-point line. And it's been special to watch those guys. It's been some intriguing basketball so far uh, through the first third of the season right now and, and what the Rockets have done. Uh, take no, nothing away from you know San Antonio for doing what they've done without Kawhi Leonard, who's on his way back. Take nothing away from Boston Celtics doing what they've done uh, with Gordon Hayward going down on the first night of the season. Take nothing away of LeBron James and what the Cavaliers have done to rally themselves and get themselves going uh, with that recent 13-game winning streak. You know, um, and Golden State, I mean, what Kevin Durant is doing on both ends of the court is phenomenal. But I, I think Houston, for what they've been able to do with the moving parts that they've had and to have to do it on the fly with no chemistry whatsoever between, you know, uh, a James Harden and a Chris Paul, having to develop that on the fly has been a remarkable, remarkable development in the NBA so far. Speaking of that first third uh, of the season to this point, man, let's look at some of the, you know, some of maybe the surprises and uh, and disappointments through the first third of, of, of the season. I, I got some thoughts, but I uh, want to start with you, Mike, uh, y- your thoughts uh, on maybe some of your surprises, disappointments, uh, first third of the NBA season. You know, I said this before, uh, you know, Philadelphia, you know, when I wrote my first mic check on the NBA column for Grind City Media uh, at the beginning, I mean, every Thursday uh, I write a league column on the league, and then we also have Lang Whitaker, who was formerly with Turner uh, Sports and NBA TV. He's now in the fold with Grind City Media. So our Thursday uh, content offering is Lang's World, which is his column of sort of quirkiness in sports and beyond. And then I come in the afternoon with my column on the my check on the NBA. So check that out on Grind City Media. Um, you know, to me, the Philadelphia 76ers and what they continue to do when Joel Embiid is available and playing. You know, Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid, to me, look, look as much like a young version of Penny and Shaq. And Shaq has said this. I mean, if you watch TNT, any of their broadcasts, Shaq, has said, Shaq says it every week. You know, um, Joel Embiid and, and, and Ben Simmons and what they've been able to do to fill out that roster. Robert Covington, Tennessee State's own Robert Covington, has been a glue guy uh, on that team. I mean, he's been one of the best role players that you have in this league, and I was happy to see him and proud to see him get that big-time contract extension. I think it was something like $64 million over five years or something like that that he signed about three weeks ago. Um, so you have him doing his thing there, and, and it's been a remarkable development with the Philadelphia 76ers. To me, they're the biggest surprise in the league when it comes to the way that they've played, and the process may deliver them to the playoffs. Uh, when you talk about disappointments, you know, I'll give you a disappointment right now. I mean, the Grizzlies notwithstanding is a disappointment. I mean, what, what you see in the team that uh, had everybody or, or, you know, not everybody coming back, but when you have to make a coaching change, 
you know, less than a, basically a month into the season, your marquee player in, in Mike Conley is hurt, and your star player, Mark Gasol, uh, is in the midst of a stretch of, you know, 14 losses in 15 games. That's a disappointment. But if you step outside of Memphis, uh, you really have to look around and see that there are some teams right now, the L.A. Clippers are one. Yes, they lost Chris Paul, but they've also had some other injuries. And now Blake Griffin is having some issues there too. So they've been somewhat of a disappointment considering uh, I, I sort of expected them to sort of keep going and, and continuing uh, their, their steady play. But right now that's not working out uh, too well for them. So I would give those two right now. As the way things stand, I would say the Philadelphia 76ers is the biggest surprise. And right now, just, just sort of right now, now that Cleveland's gotten his game going, I would say the L.A. Clippers might be one of the bigger disappointments so far to me. Yeah, I, I think my disappointment right now, and, and it's early, I mean, I, I guess we're saying disappointment as we stand right now would have to be um, OKC. I mean, I think you would expect a lot more. I mean, yeah, they're not that far, what, maybe a game or so as we speak under 500. Uh, so it's not, you know, it's not terrible. But you would have expected when when Russell Westbrook and Carmelo and and Paul George, these guys all came together, and they, you know, when you got guys like a, a Stephen Adams who is is pretty good, Andre Robertson hasn't, uh, you know, he he he's been okay, but I I would have expected a little bit more from OKC, but that's probably part of them all coming together, playing together, gelling. So I, I, yeah, if I had to give a disappointment. They would be it right now, but I don't think they're going to be a disappointment when we're talking uh, in another two months or so. I think they're going to ultimately be able to get this thing together. From a surprise standpoint, which really it's a surprise with the way the season started, is the Boston Celtics. I mean, Gordon Hayward went down first six minutes of the game a lot and in a gruesome injury, which, by the way, I still have not seen and refused to watch. But it's one of those deals where he was supposed to be that guy. He and Kyrie, they were supposed to be those guys to really get the Celtics over the hump. And when Gordon Hayward went down, you're like, oh, no, but, I mean, Kyrie has played out of his mind. He said, listen, here was a guy that, was drafted by Cleveland, was in Cleveland. They were terrible, obviously, before LeBron James came back. I mean, Kyrie wanted to go somewhere else and be the man, and he has shown that he can, in fact, be the man. He's leading a bunch of a bunch of good players, not necessarily all-star. And by the way, Jason Tatum is really, really good. This kid from Duke, I had a chance to be at the Duke-Carolina game last year uh, at Duke. And, I, you know, just the way he played in that game and the way he played down the stretch in that game um, showed me that this guy was going to be good right away. And he has been very, very good right away. You got veterans like Al Horford and, you know, Jalen Brown, Marcus Smart, uh, Smart, uh, uh, Marcus Morris. These guys are playing well. And more importantly, you know, I always thought, that uh, you know, Brad Stevens was a really good coach, but now I think this year you're seeing how really good or great, really, of a coach he is. As a matter of fact, when you can lose a a a star of this magnitude and still be able to come through like the Celtics are doing, I mean, obviously it's going to come down uh, right now. I, I mean, I'm I'm never going to discount the Wizards. I know John Wall has been out, and the Wizards are. You know, they're above 500 right now towards the bottom of if, if the playoffs uh, began today, they would be towards the bottom, uh, but they would still be in the playoffs. I'm not counting the Wizards out, but 
boy, I mean, Cleveland playing at an unbelievable pace, but the Celtics right now, from what they've been able to do without Gordon Haywood, uh, you know, Brad uh, uh, Stevens, again, deserves a lot of credit. And so my, uh, my, my surprise, because again, Hayward went down six minutes into the season, would be my uh, surprise right now, and then OKC uh, would be my disappointment. But again, we're only one-third uh, through the NBA season. Hey, you know what? And, and I guess it's one of those things where, what, what is the saying? You know, you can't see the forest for the trees, and, and I should have known uh, OKC would have been my, my disappointment. And I just saw those guys over the weekend, and, and Paul George wasn't able to play you know, he was dealing with, uh, you know, an injury issue that, that sort of had him in and out of the lineup the last couple of days. But but you're right, and, and, and I'll, I'll speak to the OKC element of it uh, really quickly. I had a chance to talk to Billy Donovan, the coach of Oklahoma City, and just a couple of days ago, Carmelo Anthony, uh, who's in the midst of one of his worst shooting slumps of his career, a 14-year career, uh, said that, you know, this is, this is the worst that he's felt uh, offensively right now. He's just not in the rhythm at all. Uh, he's not in the groove at all, and you know, it's, it's, I, I talked to Billy Donovan about what his message is to Carmelo and what sort of his conversations are. Because, again, I mean, you have in, in those three guys, Carmelo, Paul George, and, and Russell Westbrook, you have three ball-dominant guys, three guys that have been isolation players most of, first and foremost, guys who love to have the ball in their hands, who take bad shots, who take good shots, who simply take volume shots. None of the three are necessarily – ideal when it comes to making their teammates better and that that sounds crazy because Russell Westbrook just broke the triple double record last season so that means his assists are where they need to be but when it comes to the way he plays it's just hard to sit there and wait for him to do what he's going to do and then have you execute uh trying to play off of Westbrook he's just not an easy guy to play off of and I think that sort of hurt both you know Carmelo and Paul George to a certain degree People always ask me, and I, I was on Fox Sports National Broadcast yesterday uh, for the game talking about the similarities between uh, the Miami Heat's big three of LeBron James, Chris Bosh, and Dwayne Wade and what they went through initially comparing it to what Oklahoma City went through being under 500, uh, uh, <clears throat> you know, through their first 25 games or so. And this is what I said. I said, listen, the reason why I worked out in Miami is because, first and foremost, LeBron and Dwayne were more unselfish players naturally. They both like to get off the ball. They also like to share the ball with their teammates. They know that they can command double teams. They know that they can take shots whenever they want to take their shots. But they also value setting up teammates. They also value efficiency. And Paul George and Russell Westbrook and Carmelo Anthony just aren't efficient players, or they haven't been that. Now, you would hope that they can make things easier for one another, but until they can start sort of changing their dynamic in terms of how they think offensively, uh, that's going to be a struggle. The second thing that I said was different is the fact that when LeBron and Dwayne and the Miami Heat and Chris started 9-8 and eight and, and all hell broke loose in the NBA world and they were saying this thing won't work, see, they celebrated too soon, well, people forget Miami then won 21 out of the next 22 games. So they went on a 21-1 and run right after that 9-8 and start. So, you know, they had what it took defensively. They created transition buckets. They got into the open court. And you saw night after night Sports Center showing LeBron lobs to Dwayne Wade, Dwayne Wade lobs to Chris Bosh. You saw three-pointers flying everywhere. And so, so you saw this team lock in defensively because they created easier baskets for, other team, for their teammates from a defensive transition standpoint. And third, and, and I think most importantly before we move on, is the fact that 
when the, when when the crap hit the fan in Miami, so to speak, relatively hit the fan at nine and eight. Um, LeBron did have some issues with Eric Spoelstra. He's had issues with Eric Spoelstra for the first three years that he was in Miami. He was only there four, but they had stability in that franchise from top down, from Pat Riley to Eric Spoelstra to Mickey Arison. They knew exactly what they were from a front office standpoint. They knew who was in charge. And they also had those three players on long-term contracts. So it wasn't going to be a deal where, hey, LeBron's going to opt out if it doesn't go well in year one. That's the dynamic that Oklahoma City fears and faces right now is that Carmelo Anthony and Paul George are both free agents after this year. So if it doesn't go right, right in year one, they can make a drastic move and you never get to see this team sort of come, the way, come together the way that they potentially could if they can have some patience and work through their issues. So, you know, I mean, that's sort of a long, you know, explanation for what these differences are. But it's just not easy, man, to throw superstars together, which is why I go back to what I said about Westbrook and CP3. I mean, excuse me, Harden and CP3. When you have a natural guy that loves to make plays for other guys, it makes it easier to sort of bring someone in and calibrate superstars. But when you have ball-dominant guys trying to do it, it, it takes a little bit more time. But I tell you what won't take any time at all. If you hop on right now, hogsfly.com, and get this uh, you know, rendezvous holiday feast package together, you're definitely going to get what you need to get by the, uh, by the time Santa come down the chimney. You're going to have some ribs and some barbecue and some nachos. So enjoy rendezvous barbecue from the comfort of your couch with overnight shipping. I told you it wouldn't take long. Overnight shipping and 10% off your online order. Go to hogsfly.com, hogsfly.com. Choose from Rendezvous' world-famous barbecue ribs, pork shoulder, or nachos. Again, real doesn't like ribs, pork shoulder, or nachos. I mean, that's, <laughs> you, you can't have it any better than that. So just when you get there, use the code GRIZZ17, G-R-I-Z-Z-1-7, G-R-I-Z-Z-1-7, at checkout through December 14th. That's this week. You only have a couple more days to knock that out and get that taken care of. Overnight shipping, you get that 10% off. You can make it happen. So, again, go to hogsfly.com, enjoy your rendezvous. The next night, you'll have it right there. You won't even have to wait long, man. It's already packaged for you. All you got to do is just open it up, heat it up, and then you're eating barbecue just like we do right here, right down the street from Bill Street and FedEx Farm. So you can definitely get that done. No, it's a beautiful thing, man. Um, so let's talk about this Celebration Bowl, um, of course, taking place. The, the Celebration Bowl, if you don't know, it is the matchup between the MEAC champion, which in this case is North Carolina A&T against the SWAC champion, which in this case is Grambling. It kicks off the bowl season this Saturday in Atlanta from the Mercedes-Benz Dome. It's going to be nationally televised, like not cable nationally televised, but network nationally televised uh, on ABC, and it kicks off uh, the season. And, um, I mean, you know, Mike, big big time game, uh, third straight year that the two best teams in all of uh, black college football are, are going uh, head-to-head, and, you know, A&T is going to be coming off about a month, uh, a little bit less than a month layoff. Meanwhile, Gramlin, uh, when by the time they play in this game, would have played uh, just two weeks ago against Alcorn State in the SWAC championship game. I kind of want to get um, your thoughts in terms of some of the the uh, a key for each of these teams to try to to be able to win this game. Well, 
tell you, I, I tell you what, Donald. I mean, I'm gonna let you speak to, and this is gonna basically showcase. This is a culmination of what the Wallace and Ware podcast has always been about, and, and you know, we'll come into it tra- with, with full transparency and full disclosure. You know, I'm a Grambling graduate, so you know, I've been following Grambling. Uh, you know, I was at Eddie Robinson's hip basically for my four years there, and also for the first year and a half in my professional career, I covered Grambling. Uh, you know, when he crossed the path to 400 victories, when he retired, when Doug Williams came back and took over the program, um, you know, I was around Eddie Robinson for a long time, and I consider him and still consider him, even though he and his wife, Dor- the great Doris Robinson, is all, have all, uh, you know, passed along. Uh, they, they've been mentors, spiritual mentors, psychological mentors. I still go back to things that they've said, uh, that they've said to me in person, in private, um, that I've learned from him just watching him coach and, and, and being there when he uh, ended press conferences and folded up the chairs himself and cleaned up the room where the press conference was uh, as head coach. So, you know, I'm not, I'm I'm coming in this completely objective when it comes to how you look at uh, this game, because I truly respect what North Carolina A&T has done this year, being the first team in MEAC history uh, to post the 11 and 0 season record breaking season offensively across the board, basically Um, the defense hadn't been too shabby either. So, you know, this is going to be a test. I mean, this is going to be a true test for both teams because I don't think either team, uh, with the exception of, you know, Grambling played Tulane and lost, um, got blown out by Tulane in the first game of the season. They hadn't seen a team like A&T since then. They hadn't seen an HBCU team uh, the way that they're going to see North Carolina A&T. And I can truly say A&T probably hadn't seen a team with as much resolve uh, as Grambling, the, the resolve to match the talent. So, I'm looking forward to this. You know, obviously you're, you're the uh, play-by-play man for A&T uh, when it comes to the radio broadcast. You've been doing that for a while now, so you get to see them every single week. You've been on the road with them. You've been at home with them. Uh, you've seen this team sort of matriculate through a magical, magical run. So what I wanted us to do for this segment right here is, one, you know, you, from, from A&T's perspective, I want you to tell me one key to the game, and I'll tell you one key to the game from Grandma's perspective. And, you know, that's going to, like I said, that's, that bleeds into our coverage of what we're going to give you this week once we get to Atlanta. And once we get to Atlanta, keep it locked on Grizzlies.com, GrindCityMedia.com, and all of our social handles from the press box to press row, Donald Ware's channels and my, at my mic check on my channels as well, uh, because we're going to give you a live version of this, a video format of this, where we break it down maybe on Friday uh, when we get to the Mercedes-Benz Stadium for the, uh, for the team uh, press conferences and things of that nature when they do their walkthroughs. Uh, we're going to give you a live report from Atlanta on Friday, and then we're going to give you a recap after the game that you can see Saturday, Sunday, and Monday too on Grind City Media. So we got the co- we're going to cover this thing wall to wall. ESPN has the ownership rights, but no one's going to have the Celebration Bowl blanketed it with analysis and coverage like Grind City Media, Wallace and Ware from the press box to press row is going to have this covered. Now, having said all that, let me say this. Grambling's one key to this game is going to be forcing turnovers. There's been no better HBCU team in the nation that's forced turnovers better, that's had a plus turnover margin, quite like Grambling State University. They're in the top ten in FBS, I mean, uh, FCS football when it comes to their turnover margin. Um, going into the SWAC championship game, I think they were plus 22 uh, in turnover edge. And what that means, obviously, is that they're taking the ball from you more than they're giving it up. 
And when that defense is opportunistic like that, um, you know, that's how they basically won, you know, the Bayou Classic and, and clinched a chance to get back to the SWAC championship. I mean, they forced, I think they forced three turnovers uh, against Southern University, three if not four. And every week, Gramlin is forcing three and four turnovers a game. So that's been their key. Now, having said that, if they can turn over A&T, it will be the first time pretty much that A&T has been turned over consistently uh, in a ball game because Lamar Raynard is one of the most efficient quarterbacks that you're going to see on any level of football. Um, you know, Cartwright does not fumble the ball when it comes to hand, you know, the way he carries the football. They don't turn the ball over a lot, and, and that's why they've been in games the way they've been in. But having said that, again, this is a situation where A&T has won nine of their 11 games by double figures, so they can run away from you. They don't make mistakes. Gramlin has to force mistakes in order to be able to let their methodical sort of offense get into a rhythm. So Gramlin has to force turnovers in this game. They, they've been better at it than any other team in the country when it comes to HBCU football, and that's going to be one key for them to win this game is forcing turnovers and capitalizing on A&T's mistakes. I think one key – uh, for A&T in terms of being able to win this football game is they got to be able to stop uh, Devontae Kincaid. Uh, you know, to me, Mike, um, I, I think his, you know, he had a really good game in the SWAC championship game, but it, again, against uh, against Southern, and you were there um, in the Bayou Classic. I mean, I don't know. The numbers really didn't bear out. Maybe the game he had, I don't know. And I was waiting to see, okay, in a really, really big game, you know, how is he going to do? He didn't do necessarily well against Alcorn State in the championship game in 2016. He didn't do necessarily well against North Carolina Central in the Celebration Bowl last uh, last year either. But, again, in the SWAC championship game just a few weeks ago, he showed out. One of the things that gives A&T problems. Now, A&T, uh, you know, and I know they have Martez Carter. Uh, he's a phenomenal running back. And, and, and I'm not speaking to Grambling here, but I'm speaking in general. If you think you're going to run against A&T, you can forget about that. They give up less than 80 yards rushing per game. But the one thing that does give the Aggies problems and have really for the last three years is a quarterback like Kincaid, a quarterback that can throw the football but also has the ability to run the football, a la Malcolm Bell uh, for three years uh, with North Carolina Central, gave A&T absolute fit because of his escapability and his ability to be able to run the football. We know Devontae Kincaid is a, a passer first, then a runner, but I think you may see Grambling shift a little bit and make, uh, and at least I would, make Kincaid more of a runner because that has given uh, A&T problems. And not only just in past years, and I, I speak of Malcolm Bell, but even this year, mobile quarterbacks, uh, the, you know, the kid uh, Ryan Stanley from Florida A&M gave A&T some problems this year. The kid from Delaware State had some mobility. When Bethune-Cookman brought in Akevius Williams, the backup quarterback, gave A&T absolute fits. They brought him in over Larry Brim just for the purpose of allowing Williams to run the football, gave A&T absolute fits. So one of the keys for A&T is they're going to have to be able to stop a guy like a Devontae Kincaid who has that not only that escapability, but has the ability. He hasn't run the football as much this year as we saw last year, but he has the ability. He's a guy that can run the football, and uh, A&T is definitely going to have to key in on Kincaid if they want to be able to get this victory over Grambling in the Celebration Bowl. Yeah, that's uh, that's two great keys right there. I, I think that's – that. man, that's 
I hate to sit here and and and, and brag. I mean, it's 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 a, it's not even a humble brag. I mean, but again, I don't know what you're going to hear in our listeners. I don't know if you're going to hear, you know, more succinct, more uh, a spot-on analysis based on guys who have been around these teams and who've studied these teams the way that we're stu- we've studied them. I mean, this is just. You know, it speaks for itself. You know what I mean? Some guys say, hey, why, why are you patting yourself on the back? This is what you guys are supposed to do. But I'm saying that to say this, man. This is a special opportunity, uh, especially when it comes to our, our schools, our HBCU institutions. Um, you just don't have the kind of uh, the professionalism and, and the resources and the insight that, that I think we can bring to the table when it comes to explaining what these teams are trying to do. Now, I, I agree with you 100% on – if you're going to force Kincaid to win the game with his feet, that's going to go against what he wants to do. So it's going to be a chess match from that standpoint. He spent all season, and this is why he's sort of been in and out of the lineup earlier in the season. He had a little bit of banged up. But, but part of it is the ego that he has, and it's the confidence in himself. He wants to beat you with his arm. He's not only playing to win an HBCU national championship, he's playing for the combine watchers who are going to say, hey, this guy doesn't have an NFL arm and can't beat you with his arm. So he almost wants to prove that he can stand in a pocket and pick you apart despite the openings being there to exploit some of these lanes. Now, his escapability says it all. Remember, this was one of the you know, most decorated recruits coming out of Texas when he came out of high school. That's why he went to Ole Miss, and when he was at Ole Miss, uh, you know, he, he was basically the running quarterback, and he didn't want to be you know, sort of uh, – uh, you know, labeled that. He didn't want to be, you know, sort of hamstrung into that stereotype. So he left and wanted to go somewhere where he can actually show his smarts, his IQ, and his passing ability. So, you know, again, that's why I think this is going to be, you know, it's, 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 man, when you talk about, you can basically put an all-American team together just based on these two rosters. And, you know, so those keys are going to be essential. If, <clears throat> uh, if you talk about Kincaid having to throw the ball and, trying to make plays down the field. I saw him struggle with that against Southern. And Southern has some great defensive players, and they have some solid DBs. And I know A&T is even a step above that when it comes to the play of their defensive secondary. So, you know, it's going to be a wonderful, 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 intriguing matchup, man. And I can't wait till we get, you know, get to Atlanta and see it, you know, see it unfold. I'm excited about making the trip. You know, I'm heading up as early as, as, as Tuesday to get there for some other things, and then I'm going to be there, obviously, uh, for the rest of the week after that, man. And I can't wait till we get in person to do this thing on a big-time level, even when we get there, to give you the latest developments from the game. Yeah, no question about it, man. Can't wait for that. Just a few days away from that uh, that big-time game. I'm, I'm so much looking forward to that. Um, so staying within the HBCU realm and a bunch of coaching uh, updates uh, changes, if you will, Mike. Uh, one of the bigger ones, Jerry Mack has left as the head football coach at North Carolina Central to become the offensive coordinator at Rice. You also have uh, Willie Simmons moving from the head man at P- at one A&M PV to another A&M FA. Uh, so, you know, you got a, a, a or FAMU, that is. So, I mean, you got a lot of coaching changes uh, that are kind of going on. You know, Savannah State, um, it, it, we already knew that they were going to make the move uh, back down to Division Two. We're, we're still unclear if it's going to be uh, this year or after uh, uh, this season. Um, but, you know, a whole lot going on with those coaching changes, man. Let's probably, I guess, Mike, uh, you know, kind of look at this thing uh, holistically. 
Yeah, yeah, we can, and it's it's a lot of you know, and, and we'll wrap up on this too. You know, I mean, we'll we'll just you know rapid fire through these things. First and foremost, uh, Alabama. <clears throat> excuse me, we talked about it before. Alabama State went on and removed the interim tag, and and you know Hill Ely is going to be the head coach there. Smart move. He finished five and one uh, down the stretch with the lone loss being the Grambling State, if I'm not mistaken, <clears throat> for them. And smart move to lock him up. Uh, one of the things that surprised me, too, when I sent you the story uh, <clears throat> a few days ago, excuse me, was uh, Arkansas Pine Bluff. I mean, this was a team that, you know, they got rid of, they moved on from, from Coleman, and, you know, now they have an opening. And they're not even one of, considered one of the better jobs that are out there, but they had almost 40 applicants, uh, you know, within the first three or four days uh, of their coaching search. And, you know, among those applicants were some names that just took me back, man. I mean, Alvin Shine Wyatt. Uh, threw his name into the ring for that. Uh, Jimmy Joe, which was Billy Joe's brother at FAMU. He was the offensive coordinator uh, <clears throat> at Florida A&M doing FAMU's more prolific runs to the, uh, you know, the uh, at the time, Division One AA playoffs. Uh, Jimmy Joe's name was in there. Uh, there were several other guys in there. I mean, just, you know, I think Ted White's name was in there, um, you know, former quarterback at, uh, at Howard University who's been a coordinator. Uh, you know, it's funny because – you know, he just got fired uh, at Mississippi Valley, and Rick Comagy was right back in the uh, in, in the resume stack at uh, Arkansas Pine Bluff. So, you know, what it tells me is that even when you have coaching changes at this level, and Delaware State is still open, obviously they're looking for an athletic director and a head coach. Uh, there could be some movement there. Um, you know, up and down the the, the MEAC and over and across uh, the, the SWAC, you have all kind of coaching openings there. And what it says is that there are always going to be some candidates that are that are intriguing. Brian Jenkins, who just got let go at Alabama State, uh, his name has also resurfaced uh, in a couple of these coaching searches as well. But I will tell you this. <clears throat> Simmons moving from Prairie View over to FAMU, that's intriguing because he's a Florida native, so he gets back to his home base uh, for the most part. And he knows the recruiting. He knows what Florida A&M is able to do and what they can do when their program is, is, is running smoothly. Uh, but Prairie View A&M isn't the joke that it used to be. I mean, this is a legitimate program now. And for someone to come in there to have the fertile recruiting grounds of Texas and to be able to go to Prairie View A&M now with the facility upgrades that they've had, that's going to be a very, very solid job in HBCU sports. And that might be the next diamond in the rough type uh, situation for a guy to go over there and take that position and basically make it uh, uh, make it better than what it, where it is right now. So. The other thing I wanted to hit on real quick, too, is just the concerning uh, aspects of, you know, Savannah State has already announced, obviously, there's nothing new here that they're going to downgrade and go back down basically to the Division II level play, return to the uh, SIAC. And they cited financial concerns with sustaining an athletic department, specifically football, um, you know, for having to move back down again. And if you remember Savannah State, they were in the major headlines a couple years ago for getting blasted something like 77-3 uh, against Ohio State or some other teams like that. They were one of those guaranteed nightmare games that, that uh, Billy Joe talked about on that HBO documentary, the Blood Games or whatever. Um, we also saw that uh, from on Cheney State uh, yep. has dis- decided to disband its football program, one of the, uh, the oldest HBCU uh, uh, school in the nation, uh, is, is, is giving up football because they just can't afford to have a football program anymore. Um, at a time when college football is more lucrative than it has ever been on a national scale, specifically with the mainstream institutions, 
we just saw the coach at Texas A&M, which is basically a middle-of-the-rung SEC program, just pay its head coach $75 million over 10 years to get Jimbo Fisher from Florida State to go to Texas A&M. Texas A&M is paying its coach $75 million to basically finish second to Alabama in the SEC West now. I mean, so the money is there for some of these programs, but when it comes to our HBCU programs and our institutions, the giving back, the donations, the financial support, the wherewithal of financial management, it's disappointing on a grand scale. Not saying that it's, it's – I'm not painting a broad stroke here to cover every program because there are some solidly run institutions in the HBCU ranks. But having said that, it, it just tells you that it, it's sad that, you know, we, we can't keep our institutions viable when it comes to some of these football programs. Savannah State I don't think ever really took football seriously in the last 20 years or so, 30 years. Uh, and certainly Cheney State – uh, has been a struggling football program, and, and they're much better and, and more suited to be basketball uh, than, than anything else. But having said that, it, Delaware State and some of these other institutions that can use and upgrade in facilities and infrastructure, uh, we, we, we need to do a little bit better, man. We're going to start seeing these football programs drop off and drop down in rank, and uh, it's going to be uh, it's, it's going to be it's going to cast a black eye on the sport. Uh, that we love so dearly. So that was my big thing um, that, that I wanted to touch on when it comes to that. It was just it's disappointing to see uh, uh, those kind of things play out the way they play out. But having said that, we just came through a remarkably strong, effective, successful uh, HBCU season, and we got the number one, number two ranked teams playing in the Celebration Bowl, a million-dollar payout to each conference, which I think can be even more. ESPN can make that game even more special and even more lucrative as the years uh, uh, continue to grow. So we'll see where it goes from that standpoint. But as the money starts to trickle in, we also got to remember that there's another reality uh, when it comes to the HBCU ranks, when it comes to uh, how they can financially stay uh, viable uh, to keep some of these programs active. Yeah, and to your point, I mean, I think we touched on it last week in terms of 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 the of the celebration bowl being lucrative in terms of uh, more specifically maybe HBCUs, particularly at the Division One level, going to a a college football playoff, uh, much like they have uh, with the FBS programs. Um, I think you know, I think you can still have that, especially now with the elimination of the SWAC championship game. I think that's something that seriously needs to be looked uh, into because to your point, then we won't have, I mean, I think, you know, you're right. A million dollars is, 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 it's good, but it should, you know, when you look at, to your point, Mike, when you look at the, the amount of money that's flowing in college football, shouldn't these conferences be getting more than just the million dollars? I think they should be getting more, quite frankly. And with that, I mean, you know, you don't you 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 have to work for the money. So let's work for the money. Let's set up a college football playoff for the HBCUs. You take the top four teams, not out of any uh, re- respective conference. So if you had three from the SWAC and one from the MEAC, uh, so be it. You know, if Tennessee State is not competing in the FCS playoffs or not competing um, for the their conference championship in the OVC, and they could also be a part of this as well. So we, we should also look at that. Um, you know, to your point with respect to Savannah State, they never were a power in the SIAC anyway. 
why they decided to go D1, I'm not sure they they were in uh, independency for so many years. I think they first started this process back in 1998. So you're talking about 20 years of being in D1. It just never worked out. They had some they had some success and have had some success actually some success actually with the um, with the men's basketball program. The women's basketball program, I believe, won a MEAC championship. The men's basketball program has been right there under Horace Broadnax. They've been competitive but haven't quite gotten it done. And really, when you make the transition from D2 to D1, it gives you so much more visibility. So I can understand why Savannah State did that, but they became the poster child for why we shouldn't have these so-called money games. Um, so, you know, I, I don't blame them. It, it, you know, you got to protect the university as a whole. And if this is the best move for Savannah State, I know we this, you know, we, we've already this is this is not a story. But again, I think what becomes a story is, are you really going to make the move? Because we still don't know if that is really going to happen uh, as of right now. To the point about Cheney, uh, I got to say, Mike, thank you, Cheney, for dropping football. It's been an absolute uh, bombshell uh, at Cheney. They haven't been relevant in football since I don't know when. Um, when you look at these last five or six years, um, they've probably won a total of maybe maybe four or five football games. It has been that bad. I, I, you know, and 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 I, I'm glad they have decided. At least they're they're deciding to drop it as of right now because the the university as a whole is not on stable footing. It's not on stable footing. So I think it's a it it, it definitely is a good move uh, for Cheney. But you know, to your point, Mike, we we need to drum up some more dollars uh, for HBCU football. Is in fact it, it is an entity, uh, if you will, and great million dollars, great. We need to be getting more money for these institutions. The visibility is great. I mean, and, and, and I guess in part, you know, you're on ABC, it's ESPN, that's all good. But but money talks, and we definitely need to be getting more money with respect to our institutions. Oh, no, no, no question about that. And it, and it starts also with supporting these games. Like, as I said before, to be in the Superdome with 65,000, 66,550 people for the Bayou Classic uh, over Thanksgiving weekend, that's buying power. That's money power. I mean, that's, 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 that's economics right there that, that sponsors look at and say, you know what, yeah, we got to keep putting money into these, uh, to these kind of events. Um, that wasn't so much the case uh, with the SWAC championship game, which is why this past week was the last one that they're going to do for some time now. So, you know, now it's time to shift that focus to uh, the Celebration Bowl. I'm looking forward to seeing what kind of crowd – uh, gets there. I mean, it's 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 tipping off college bowl uh, season. You know what I mean? The college bowl postseason starts this coming Saturday with uh, you know the celebration bowl is one of the first ones that you're going to be able to see on a national scale. So you know, I, I want to see what the fans look like. I know the SWAC and the MEAC are putting a lot of resources and putting a lot of events around it uh, to make it successful. They're putting job you know job uh, career fairs around it. They're putting you know, some social events, some parties and all of those kind of things around it. And, and, and I, I'd like to see ultimately the tickets bought and the f- uh, fannies in the seats, as they used to say, uh, to show the support. And, and then you can start saying, you know, you can go back to ESPN and some of these uh, television networks and sponsors and say, hey, man, you got to up this. Because, again, $1 million, and, you know, at first it sounded like $1 million per team, which would be phenomenal. 
But when you're talking about $1 million per conference, like the conference has to split that among X amount of teams. I mean, the teams get a certain amount, but then the conferences get, you know, like I said, the $1 million payout. And when you're talking about a conference like the SWAC and the MEAC, which have upwards of eight, nine, ten teams, 11 teams, um, that doesn't go a long way, you know what I mean, when it comes to that. So, you know, again, uh, I like what this is. This is a first step, and uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. And, and maybe we can, you know, sort of raise some of those questions. And then, you know, as you follow us throughout the week on Grind City Media, from the press box to press road, Donald Ware and myself, you, we'll bring you the sights and sounds of the Celebration Bowl. And, you know, again, man, as we wrap up, I can't wait to get to it. And I'm going to tell you this much, man. Look, we finally get to do this face-to-face. You're right. It seemed like it didn't seem like it was that long ago when we were in the same all-star game city, all-star city, and saw each other because we talk so much every week now. It seems like we just saw each other a couple of weeks ago. But at the end of the day, yes, let's get. I'm looking forward to doing this thing face-to-face. We're going to do the Wallace and Ware live show uh, from Atlanta, from the Celebration Bowl, and uh, I'm looking forward to it, man. So all I can say right now is, D-Ware, take us home, baby. No doubt. My bad. It was actually Miami. I was in your city. I forgot. NBA Finals game. How could I forget Game seven of the NBA Finals in 2013. I was in your city uh, when Miami uh, beat San Antonio. That's actually the last time uh, we were together, Mike. So the the coolest thing uh, that we saw this week. You want to leave things off? Hey, I'm gonna. I'll tell you what. We can. The coolest thing that I saw this weekend. Uh, yeah, and it's, it ain't gonna take me long to do it either, man. The coolest thing I saw this weekend was my uh, my twins come home from from college for the first first uh, time. You know yes. what I mean? This is their first semester going off. Yes. Uh, they graduated last June. They went off to college. My daughter was at Howard. Um, I've shared social media when her when she was in the band. That band went to Vegas for the Howard's upset over UNLV at the start of the season. So I hadn't had a chance to see her uh, since she went off to college over the summer. They came back over the weekend. So having her in the house and then having my son, who's obviously just down the street at the University of Memphis, but then having those two together, they're twins. So to have those two back in the house together uh, for the holiday season, that's the coolest thing I saw. I think, you know, we went out, you know, over the weekend, had a chance to go to service together on Sunday, uh, had an old-fashioned dinner at one of their favorite places, the Cheesecake Factory, (laughs) which was funny because that was the last place we all ate together uh, when we were in Memphis before they went off to college. So, um, you know, that was that was the coolest thing I saw was just having uh, that aspect of my family back intact as we head into the holiday season. And they're going to be in Atlanta, too. So they're going to be at the Celebration Bowl as well. So this is a family affair, man. I mean, it's bragging rights across the board uh, because after that, my son has to come back uh, because he's got to get ready in his band, his marching band, University of Memphis. They play in the Liberty Bowl uh, against Iowa State. So it's going to be a big-time college bowl stretch uh, for the Wallace end of the Wallace and Wear podcast. So I'm definitely looking forward to that. But that was the coolest thing I saw. It's a beautiful thing, Mike, especially around this time of year. And uh, so glad that your your family is back. Um, the coolest thing that I saw uh, this weekend, which could also classify as maybe the worst thing I saw, so it was on, on both ends of the spectrum. Uh, you know, Congressman Representative John Lewis up to his up to his, I don't want to say tricks, that's not necessarily the right word, but doing what he does best. Representative John Lewis boycotted the fact that uh, Donald Trump, President Donald Trump, was at the um, the Mississippi Civil Rights Museum opening uh, this week. And I think it's cool because it's cool in one, it's cool in this respect that he is a man 
who even 50 years later after the civil rights movement, which he was very much a part of, is still uh, doing those protests. Now, you know, we can and I, I, you know, for me, I don't understand. I still don't understand me like who invited Donald Trump to the opening of this civil rights museum. I mean, let's look at everything. And, and I got a list of things I and mean, it's not even everything that he's, he's done to inflame the black community this year. Remember when he was candidate Trump, he referred to the black community as the blacks. And with respect to uh, the blacks in inner cities and their rundown and so forth. And let's not forget that. Let's not forget how uh, he was all into the NFL protest situation. The birther movement uh, going back some five years ago or uh, or so Charlottesville when he inflamed that situation. I mean, it's so many different things that we can look at with respect to Donald Trump. I, I have no idea who invited him, why he was invited, why he would even come. But he and others decided to uh, not attend because he's going to be there. And I'm, I'm I, I say congratulations. I salute John Williams, 50 plus years in the civil rights movement, still getting it done, Mike. <laughs> hey, man, listen, it's, it's one of those things where it's, it's every week where the, the, that's the gift that just keeps on giving you know, <laughs> the, the debate and, and, and topics and, you know, some of the things that have gone on in this country, um, you know, under this you know current administration. Um, and it, it's, it's, it, it's, listen, I, I look at it and I say, Hey man, let, let's just pray for peace and safety. And, and, you know, our, our, our military that's, uh, out there and potentially in harm's way. I'm just praying that, you know, we can, we can remain peaceful and all of that. So let, let's just get through this, this administration and see if we can, uh, make it better as we go forward. But no, no, no question about it, man. You said, you called it, you said it was the best thing you saw, which was also one of the most tragic things you saw all wrapped up in the one man so that's uh that's a funny thing it's 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 funny because i think this this the the political landscape we're in right now reminds me a lot of the the old wwf you know hulk hogan and 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 gene mcmahon and and i mean vince mcmahon and and mean gene okerlund and all of those guys because it's just a whole lot of bluster and, and and going back and forth and i'm saying that to say this obviously i'm setting up you know, an invitation to WWE Raw. The superstars <laughs> of WWE are returning to action at FedEx Forum for WWE Monday Night Raw on Monday, January 8th, 2018. So one of the first things you can do in 2018 is come check out WWE Raw, Monday Night Raw at FedEx Forum, January 8th. Uh, at 6.30, tickets start at just $15, 15 bucks, and are on sale now at Ticketmaster.com by phone at 1-800-745-3000 or at the FedEx Forum box office. So come see the real wrestlers and, and, and this political wrestling. Just put that off and just, you know, just try to ignore <laughs> that as much as you can. And don't, you know, don't get worked up, but you have to. I understand that. But come see the real wrestlers do it inside the ring, and then we'll see how it plays off from right there. So on that note, D, look, that wraps up another great show, man. I think, you know, it's one of those situations where I'm looking forward to the holidays. I'm looking forward to this week. It's a big week, Celebration Bowl Number one, North Carolina A&T versus number two, Grambling State University. Another big week for the Grizzlies to have a chance to dig themselves out of this hole, turn their season around. <clears throat> Another big week from, from the press box to press roll, which will be basically on location. Uh, man, it's, it's, it's a lot going on, and we're just happy to be in the middle of it. And I just want to thank you guys for tuning in, listening to another 
Wallace Aware Podcast. It's been a great ride. It's been a great hour. We took it a few more minutes longer, but we had a lot to pack into this show, man. And uh, just thank you for doing what you do, D. Get us home, baby. Yeah, I appreciate you, uh, Mike, as well. And, of course, you can follow Mike on My Mike Check. And, uh, again, we're going to be at the uh, at the Celebration Bowl, the Wallace uh, and Ware Podcast. And dur- throughout the course of the week, you can log on to grindcitymedia.com and also boxtero.com to see – uh, the times that we'll actually be broadcasting our show prior uh, to the game. So very, very much looking forward to that. Of course, Mike's also going to appear uh, on this week's edition of From the Press Box to Press Row, airing on a radio station near you. You can log on to BoxerRow.com to find a radio station in your area that carries the show, or you can listen. Matter of fact, you can listen uh, Saturday morning, uh, 9, 8 a.m. Central Time, 9 a.m. Eastern Time on Sirius XM channel 142 and again we will talk with you on saturday right here on grindcitymedia.com